everyone this morning. If you would take your Bibles and turn to Genesis. Genesis chapter 12 is where we will start and continue our sermon series called I Promise. In the Old Testament, there is a reoccurring pattern. People sin, people face consequences, God redeems. People sin, people face consequences, God redeems. Some of us may be thinking that's also a pattern that I'm familiar with. But that's what happened in the Old Testament. And then last week we talked about Noah and the flood. And then this week where we'll start is in Genesis chapter 11, which is after the flood and the people of the world have been built back up. And then, as we said, the pattern is people sin, there are consequences, God redeems. The people of the world wanted to build a city for themselves. And that's what they said. They will make a city for ourselves. We'll make a tower way up into the sky. It'll make us famous. This will be for for our glory. And it'll keep us right here together because that's what we want to do. And anytime you have a plan that's just for yourselves, it always factors anybody else out. Especially God. We all personally need this reminder today. We looked at this last week. The primary emphasis of the Bible is the glory of the sender, not the recipient. The glory of the sender. So, what happens in the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, consequentially, God confused their speech, and in this way, the Bible says, the Lord scattered them over all of the earth. God sent them out, confused their mouth. Your plan is over. My plan persists. People sin, people face consequences, God redeems. And now that humanity was humbled and people were beginning to spread to the uttermost parts of the earth, God was instituting a plan of redemption. It's time for that now. The consequence part has come. Now God is going to redeem. And how he chooses to do that is to create a people for himself to choose a people group for himself that would take his glory and blessing to all those scattered people groups. And through that people group would be the restoration and redemption of all the people groups of all the world. To start this, he would call one man away from his family. And that man's name was Abraham. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for your spirit that leads us into all truth. I pray, O God, for you to do what we cannot do here today. Lord, only you can work in the hearts and minds of people. Only you can work across and over all that's going on in our life. And I'm praying, O Lord, today that your Bible and your spirit would make it real plain that we need you and want to be on your time and your agenda. Thank you for what you are doing. I pray, O God, we would recognize that and that we would truly desire to live within your will. In Jesus' name, amen. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, this is the promise made. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. Do you notice what is repeated in those couple, three verses? I will bless. I will and blessing. It is God's desire. Listen to me now. It is God's desire to bless you. 
It truly is. And we're going to talk about what that looks like. But even from the book of Genesis, God is found saying, I will bless. There's also a part in there where he tells, tells Abraham, I will make you famous. Now, what we live in today, and we've always lived in it, really, if you want to be quite honest, because when I was a kid and thought about what I want to be when I grow up, I want to be on TV playing ball somehow, some way. I wanted the name on the back of my jersey to be seen in lights, right? And most of us felt that way. It's probably even heightened more today with YouTube and the videos that we can make of ourselves because we're self-promoting so that we can get our name out there, and I'm not sure why. But within us is a desire that's found, in all, the way, found all the way back in Genesis chapter 11. It's the same thing. It's the desire to be famous, to be known, to be glorified. This is the desire that they've always had. And there is no glory greater than God's glory. If God wants, you make, wants to make you famous, you let him make you famous. Otherwise, you're spinning your wheels and working for your name. Let God, make you, let God raise you up if he wants to raise you up. It's God's desire to bless. If he wants to make your name great, he's going to make it great for his name to be great. I will bless. What we've just read... You've got to understand this is Bible study. What we've just read is the starting point to the finishing work of Jesus Christ. This all started way back in Genesis with God and Abraham. The problem of sin persisted even though God restarted, had a remnant, raised them up, populated the earth. The problem of sin persists. So now the wheels are in motion by God to make a way for all nations to be restored to a right and real relationship with God. That is the blessing that God is talking about. See, sometimes when we think about blessing, we're thinking about material things. We're thinking about our desires fulfilled and the way that we want them to be fulfilled. But the true blessing is being right with God and having a walk with God Knowing that you live within God, God has saved you, he's given you heaven, he's given you a purpose for living, you live for something greater than yourself, that is blessing. Blessing is defined biblically, and I, I believe this is the way it's defined. Blessing is God's purposeful provision and position. God's purposeful provision and position. Again, often we're thinking about all these things that we want. If we get it, we consider it a blessing. It's not about the recipient. It's about the sender. If you think that victory over sin and death and purpose for living is not enough blessing, get your head up out of the world and see what is going on in the scope of eternity. There's a bigger picture that God is working on. And when we get to heaven, we're going to be so glad of it. I often notice, if you look in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, I often notice and make the focal point, Abraham, his faith. God told him to leave everything he'd ever known. And he left that and he, he did what God told him to do. And I often would focus on that. But again, the primary focus is not the action of the recipient. It is the desire of the sender. This is God's plan. He says, leave, go to where I will send you. This is God's will. I will make you great. I will bless you. I will defend you against those that want to come against you. I will be a blessing through you. God is doing this. He's making a way for every family on earth, including your family, to move away from trying to build a temporary city with a temporary tower in your name and being going towards the purpose of being in a position to be a lifetime servant 
of the one true God and a beneficiary of his grace and mercy. Why is this important to recognize today? Like if you hadn't picked it up yet, why is it important to see what God is doing? Well, it's real simple. So we can appreciate it. That's why. Otherwise, you don't think God's doing anything. You don't think God's working on anything. If we don't tell you what he's doing based upon the Spirit of God and the Word of God, this is what God is working on for humanity all the way back since Genesis. But see, if we don't know that, we just assume that God's not doing anything. Yesterday, I turned into Jack's. Davis and I were in the truck, and we're going to get some breakfast yesterday morning. And when we turned in, there's cars lined up all the way to the road. Seriously. Lined up from the window all the way around, all the way to the street. The guy had to pull up even to let me get in. I pull up. David says, man, let's just go in. I was like, great idea. Let's go in. We're about to park, and I see people walking up. Now, as this is happening, y'all probably don't do this, but within me is a spirit of criticism. Y'all are laughing because you do it too, and I appreciate it because conviction is a shared experience, right? (laughs) And you begin to think, what are they doing, right? This is where we go to... We do this in personal relationships. We don't think, or even in our workplace, we don't think they're doing anything at all. You know why we think that? Because we don't know what they do. Just a second, a little old lady, bless her heart, I've seen her there before. She steps out, opens the door to a few people that are walking up, and she says, we're so sorry, but we are understaffed today, and all we can do is drive through. They're getting in there and getting after it. I'm sure it's just like anything else. They've had a positive test here or there. Their staff is cut in half. They're doing the best they can do. But in our flesh, y'all need to do what we want you to do. Is that not who we are? You see, we, there are people that think this way of God. God's not doing anything for me. God doesn't really love God doesn't really involve himself with creation because God's not doing what I think he ought to do. When the truth is, is we don't really know what he's doing, so we just criticize God because we're not being blessed like we think we are or think we should be. But when we read the word of God, the revealed truth of God, to know exactly what he's working on in the world, which is to provide for you and to position you purposefully for his glory and your good. Then we have a sense of what he's doing, where he's going, and if we are a part of it, we'll appreciate it. We'll be thankful for what God is doing. I know every time I'm at a funeral, I'm thankful for the grace and mercy of God over my life because when I die, I'm not going to be separated from God because through Jesus, I'm going to be with him. So I know what he's doing, and I know what he's working on, and I'm thankful for it. And that way we can respond, which is also the reason why we must share that. So people know exactly what God is doing. That's ever since Genesis, he's been trying to help us, ever since. Making a way for the entire world to be right with him, now and forever. But there's something else to notice here in his promise in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. There's purpose in his promise. There's purpose in his promise. Don't miss the second half of Genesis 12 too. I will bless you and make you famous. And then it says, and you will be a blessing to others. Blessing is not just provision and position. It's purposeful provision and position. You've not been provided for and positioned just so that you can enjoy it. 
If we are in Christ, it's been given to us not so that we can just be a recipient of blessing, but so that we can be a channel of it. So that blessing can go through us. So church members, in our attitude and our actions today and tomorrow and the days going forward, let's remember to be a blessing to others, not a curse. Not a curse. You want to go back to Jack's for a second? I don't know. Y'all can all go eat there if you want to afterwards and spend a lot of money there if you want to. But see, when stuff like that happens, even in Christ, y'all ain't doing your job. We get all fed up with it. We make a show of it, and then we're going to skip up in here to church and talk about the grace and mercy of God. Y'all get me my biscuit. <laughs> you see what I'm saying, though? See, our flesh and our spirit war against one another, and God says for those who are positioned and provided for by Him, we are to be a channel by which other people experience the blessing of God. We point towards God by the way that we act and what we say and do. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You know, there are people in my life and I'm serious. There are people in my life, every time I'm around them, I think of God. I hope I'm like that one day when I grow up. Truly, when I'm in their presence, it reminds me of the presence of God. Their presence is a blessing. As, the, as Their whole identity points me towards a loving, living God. Be a blessing. Be a blessing with the position that you have. Be a blessing strategically for the glory of God. Represent the Lord in your communication and in your conduct so that people will see that God is alive and active in what He is doing in the world. The day is more important than 9 to 5. The day is more important than the bottom line, more important than the extracurriculars, more important than what's for dinner, more important than take-home pay. We are purposed for a blessing. I can't do that where I work. It's not allowed. Give me a break. It's not allowed where I work. It ain't. Well, bless your sweetheart. Because there's missionaries all over the world that are meeting for church under the cover of darkness by threat of arrest. I believe we can get it done here. I've worked in the secular world too. You need to know what your rights are, your resources are. You need to know what you can do strategically, and you do it for the glory of God and watch God work over those barriers. All you want to do is make an excuse. You can't do it where I work. Yeah, that's an easy out for you. But what it says is that he will be a blessing. That's imperative. So either you can be used for that channel or he's going to turn it and get another channel and use somebody else. Wouldn't you rather have him work through you? How about we start with praying and asking God how we can get it done? Start with our character and conduct and attitude before other people. Then we open up our mouth. And watch God work in all kinds of ways. We are to be a blessing because God's people, God will be a blessing through God's people. Now let's go to Genesis chapter 15. And let's discuss how, <clears throat> again, this is about the promise made. A promise made from God to all the world through one man. In Genesis chapter 15, some time has passed, obviously, before chapter 12, chapter 15. And God had not yet fulfilled the promise, but he was reassuring Abraham that he was going to keep his promise. And Abraham, because he's just like me and you, was seeking assurance. And God, you said this was all going to happen, that I was going to have a bunch of descendants. And now time's passed and we still without one. Oh, sovereign Lord, how can this be? 
that I will actually possess it, meaning the land. Or in other words, I haven't seen anything happen yet that you said would. So what we see in Genesis chapter 15, verses 9 through 17, is called an Old Testament ritual of cutting a covenant. God and Abraham are about to cut a covenant. Now what that is in Old Testament days is whenever there was anybody, one side or another, that made an agreement or a covenant together, they would take an animal sacrifice and they would cut the animal in half and they would lay the animal on either side of each other and almost make like an aisle with the sacrificed animals on each side. And together, the two people involved in that covenant would pass between the two halves of the carcasses, as you're getting the imagery. Congratulations. You're welcome. And as they pass through the two halves of the carcasses, they do so to signify their agreement together as they pass through both of them. But also to signify if we don't keep the terms of our covenant, what's going to happen to these animals will happen to us. Now, if you're like me, you're probably thinking, man, y'all could just shake on it and write it down, write on a piece of paper, get that thing notarized, right? And the agreement would be done. But they were serious about it. They were serious about the agreement that had been made. So Abraham and God were going to cut a covenant. But what God had Abraham do is he had Abraham sacrifice those animals, cut them in half, lay those out, and then God put Abraham to sleep. Read it in the scripture. Abraham falls asleep. And within his sleep, he will see a, a vision within his dream later on in the scripture where a flaming torch and a hot fire pot would pass between the two halves of the carcasses because those represent the purifying presence of God as they pass through those halves, through those sacrifices. Look there in the scripture. The Bible says in verses 17 and 18, after the sun went down and darkness fell, Abraham saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants. God is reaffirming what he has promised. And Abraham is really not even included on it because God is faithful even when we're not. He knows he can get it done. Abraham's put to sleep because he can't even walk through them. He couldn't even want it, even, even if he wanted to. It was God who passed through the two halves because it was God's agreement. And because it was God only that went through those two halves, it makes it a promise. An unconditional promise of God to do what man cannot do, which is reach an agreement with God. So God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He passes through those, those two halves of those animals, Abraham couldn't possibly be part of this covenant, nor could his descendants, nor could us. We also could not be part of this reaching an agreement with God. And so the Bible says in Galatians chapter 3 verse 9, all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. You see, the sacrifice that God would ultimately use to reach and make a way for all the nations of the earth would be to give of himself and give up his son. And his son took the punishment that we deserve. He is the sacrifice. God ratifies the covenant. He's been doing all this since Genesis for his glory that benefits me and you. Know what he's doing so that you can be a part of it and appreciate it. 
The promise delayed, if you look in Genesis chapter 15, there's a promise made by God. There's a promise delayed by God. I really think this will help you. So hang on. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision. And he said to him, Do not be afraid, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. How many of you have been waiting on God before? Trusting God in time to do something that he said he would do. That's been promised. And then it's like in your life, the way you see it in Genesis chapter 15, 1. Sometime later, you're still there. Then you skip two chapters more to Genesis chapter 17. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Bible says, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai. God Almighty, serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. God made a promise to Abraham. In his time, he is reaffirming, reaffirming it, and in his time, he will authorize it. The promise that was made by God would be kept by God, but something you have to observe here that God does is that God works overtime in his time. Now, that's one of those places where nobody wants to say amen because we want to have it on our time. God works overtime in his time. The, the covenant initially was made in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, sometime later. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, when Abraham was 99 years old. Genesis chapter 12, Abraham was 75 years old. Genesis chapter 17, now he's 99. That's a long time to wait for what God said that he would do. Abraham figured that when, when God promised him of descendants, that that was going to happen. It was going to happen quickly, right? I remember when... when uh, Brittany and I and the kids, we lived in West Limestone. God opened the door to, to start Lindsay Lane East and Harvest or East Limestone. And we're in West Limestone, and we really felt led of God to move towards the community that God would have us to minister in. And so we put our house up for sale, truly just trying to be obedient. And, and when we did that, I really believed. I was like, God's going to sell this house in a week. We're going to be out in East Limestone, and we're going to be getting after it. And then 365 days later, still waiting on the Lord. Still waiting on the Lord. But see, I, we were being faithful to what God called us to do, but we wanted it on our timeline. This will help you. This will help you. If God is doing a work through you for his glory, and you want it through him for his glory, then it's got to be on his time. So if you are praying and you are waiting and you are seeking, if God is going to get the glory for this and that's what you want, you have to wait on him and trust that the timeline he's setting up is what he knows will be best for him and for you. That will help you if you're waiting on God. Abraham was just like us. He's like, God, I'm still, what's, what's, what's happening? <laughs> still waiting. But God knew the timing would be right when he said it was right because he's God. Sometimes we just need to hear that. He's God, y'all. Time is not, not, he doesn't see time like we see it. And you may be, again, we often find ourselves praying for God's will, but we want our time. And you may be frustrated because you're waiting on God to provide or position you, but don't give up because what you see is you see God working. 
You see him working for his glory and for our good. This past week, I sat back at my desk as I was studying this, and I began to think of all the things in my life that I used to pray and ask God for. The things that we were taught to pray for as kids, you need to pray about who you're going to marry. You need to pray about where you'll live. You need to pray about what you're going to do with your life. You need to pray about whether or not to go off to college or stay here or go to work. You need to pray about all those things. And now that I'm in this chapter of life, I find myself praying for our children now more and praying for our church more. But even still, as I look back, I remember myself asking God for his will to be done, but wanting it to be on my time. But if it's for God's glory, he's going to work it out when he sees fit. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding and all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. There's an element of faith in everything when it comes to God. You're just going to have to wait on God and trust him that he knows more than you know. Abraham was in this place and he was trusting that God was faithful. And even though the promise was delayed, God confirmed it, reaffirmed it. Reminded him of who he was and what would happen. And then what we have here is a promise fulfilled and then a promise obeyed. Something to notice in Genesis chapter 17 verse 9. Then God said to Abraham, your responsibility is to obey the covenant. Your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. Now when you study the meaning of biblical words, you're going to realize that this word covenant in Genesis chapter 17 is a right, R-I-T-E, or an obligation. Now, this is not a, a conditional covenant. God is unconditionally going to see this blessing through. But within this agreement, within this covenant, are the responsibilities of all of those who would be a part of that covenant. You'll see in verse 1 of 17, God says, serve me faithfully and blamelessly. Meaning, if you're going to be with me, you're going to have to be faithful because I'm faithful and you need to live right because I'm right. That's obligation. And then he says, very specifically in in chapter 17, verse 9, Israel was given the obligation of circumcision. Meaning that the Israelites were to bear the mark of an everlasting covenant. God said to do this as part of obeying the terms of the covenant. Now, real quick, circumcision, like baptism, is not something that is done to be in. It's something that is done because you're in. You hear me? So she wasn't baptized this morning to be a Christian. She was baptized because she's a Christian. It is a step of obedience and an important one that we see in the Scripture. God gives salvation He gives right standing with those who would turn from our sins and turn to God by believing in Jesus Christ. So, the church is like Israel. When we've got blessing, we've got obligation. When we have salvation, church, we have obligation. Listen to the scripture in Romans chapter 2, verse 25, and think about baptism. The Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you are no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. Ladies and gentlemen, you can be baptized all you want. We can baptize you again and again. But if we are not walking in the Spirit of God, going the way of God, seeking to please God with our life, doing what God has called us to do, then the extent of our Christianity is that water. 
Baptism is not the summary of your salvation. It's an important, obedient first step. It is not the extent of your Christianity. If it is the extent of your Christianity, get ready to move because there's more to it. When we ask you, I've asked many people before, tell me your story. Tell me your story. Well, I was baptized. That ain't what I asked. That's a step, not a story. What is your story? How has God brought you from death to life? And if you think, I know I've got God inside of me because I've called upon the name of the Lord, but I don't know the next steps, work it out. Get your head in this Bible. Be a part of a group. Ask questions. Own your faith. Know what you believe. This is not the extent nor the summary of your salvation. God is going to use this sure step towards a walk with him. Real salvation, a right relationship with God. If you look in Romans chapter 2, verse 29, as you are comparing these two things, a right relationship with God looks like a change of heart produced by the Spirit of God. Now, let's, let's keep speaking about devotion because to take this one step further, Christianity looks more like devotion than it does a decision. Christianity looks more like devotion than it does a decision. And speaking of devotion... God blesses, and I can't believe I've only got this last page for this chapter because we could do a sermon series on this in itself. But God blesses Abraham and Sarah with a son, amen? God said he would and he did. Are you hearing me? God said he would and he did. He blessed Abraham and Sarah, even after Sarah laughed because she was so old. He blessed them with a son, Isaac. And so the descendants has begun. Do you see how God has made a promise reaffirmed his promise, ratified his promise, now he's keeping it. It's making it happen. And Isaac is in the picture. But then in Genesis chapter 22, God would test Abraham's faith. And we read verse 2. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Man. Abraham's been waiting all this time. Sarah's been waiting all this time. God fulfills his promise. He gives them a son which starts the descendants. And now God is telling Abraham to take the son that he loves so much and prepare him as a sacrifice unto God. In my mind, when I think about this, y'all, seriously, in my mind, when I think about this and the logistics and the feelings, I can't even get there. And I think it's because I don't want to think about it. But, but what we see here is, is there must have been this tremendous battle between faith and feeling, feeling and faith, and faith is an underdog. Now, what we tend to do when we read this scripture and hear it is immediately question God. Just like that line at Jack's, what are you doing? We immediately question God. How could you do this? Why would you do this? But don't you think in the Spirit of God and, and God and the faith that Abraham has, Abraham remembers what he said and what he's done. He remembers that he's good, that it is God's desire to bless, not to destroy. This, this right here doesn't take away all of that. And so in chapter 12, God told Abraham, I'll make you great. I'm going to bless you, make you famous, bless and protect you. You'll be a blessing. All the families in the earth are going to be blessed through you. So while he feels like God is abandoning him, Abraham remembers what he said. And then in chapter 15, don't miss this one, he told Abraham, uh, reassuring him, you'll have a son of your own, and he 
will be your heir. Look at the sky, he told Abraham. See the stars. See the number of descendants that you will have when you see those stars. And then he said in verse or chapter 17, your descendants will become many nations, kings among them. I'll be your God and give you the entire land of Canaan. See, while we may go straight to the how could you, God? How could you do this? Abraham must have factored in all that God said and all that he did. Just because we're going through a valley, you can't factor out all that God has done and all that he will do. I know that's easy preaching, I know. The Bible says that when God told Abraham this, that the next morning he got up early and he started preparing what God had told him to do. And I don't know that this is what happened because it's not written down. I guess I just like to think it. But can't you see Abraham the night before? And y'all, it's not in here either, but I, it's not, it's not, we're not told that Sarah knew about this. Because probably Abraham was like, I ain't going to tell her about this. We <laughs> know how that's going to go. Abraham gets up early the next day. He starts doing what God's called him to do. Can't you, can't you see the night before he's pacing back and forth, restless, probably can't sleep, maybe didn't even sleep at all thinking about what God's told him to do. And then he walks outside, and he's praying, and he's thinking, and then he looks up, and he sees all those stars. That's what God told him to look at before. All of your descendants, there'll be as many as these stars in the sky, man. So the, what's before him does not cancel out or take away all that God has said and what God has done and what God will do. And out of that... He obeyed. Abraham, listen, Abraham believed God to be faithful, so he was faithful. This is why missionaries go. This is why people receive a call to ministry. This is why you go and talk to a stranger and knock on a door when you have no idea who they are, but you know God's put it on your heart to do it. This is why we do that. Because we don't know what's going to happen, and it seems like an impossible thing to do because you don't know all the details, but you believe God to be faithful. You know and cannot deny what he's doing in your heart and life and what he's got for you to do, so you're faithful. Remember last week? Noah was given something impossible to do. He was to believe God to the point where he built an ark and then out of being faithful because God is faithful, God saved his family and made a way for him. Now here in Genesis, we have another example of this where Abraham has been given something impossible to do. Impossible to do. But he believed God. And he walked and he, he obeyed God. And, and then out of that, God made a way for him and saved his family. If you don't know the rest of the story, know the rest of the story. Isaac on the altar, Abraham preparing to sacrifice his son, he probably believed God can resurrect the dead, amen, even if I go through with this. But as he's laying his son on the altar, an angel calls out and says, Abraham, stop. Thank the Lord, amen. And he looks over there, there's a ram caught up in the thicket. They get the ram, they sacrifice in honor of God. It was an impossible thing to do, but God made a way for his family for his glory. 
Don't, I, I don't know what you're in, but don't factor out all that God has done for you before. See, we do this way sometimes in our marriages. Man, we're starting to get married. We love each other. God's brought us together, and before the Lord and everybody else, we're making it a covenant agreement. And then we get to a hard spot, and the world's got in, and spiritual warfare is taking us down. God's not stopped working. He's still on the throne. He's working towards restoration. He can turn your marriage from from a curse to a blessing and to a channel of blessing. He can. God's God's real and working. Now what we have for us that we need to see before we leave is that when God prepared that ram to be caught in a thicket, He gave a sacrifice in place of another. We should be the ones laying on that mountain and on that altar. Our blood should be spilled for the sins that we've committed. But the substitute is Jesus Christ. God made a way for us to have life and have it eternally by giving his son so that we could be spared. This is what God is doing so that we can appreciate it and so that we can respond. Amen? Y'all, leading into this time of invitation, if God's working on your heart and mind, you've got to do something with it. That's why we have an invitation. You can walk this aisle right here. We can talk about salvation. Let's talk about baptism. Let's talk about joining the church. Whatever your next steps are, put it on that card. You want to do something with it. Catch us on the way out. We want to help you. But if God's working on your heart and mind to take a next step, you better take it. Amen? Let's stand to our feet.